Hi, y'all. Just wanted to hop on really quick before the episode to say that there is a quick content warning for uh, drug use, child abuse, and houselessness a little later in the episode. Um, so if that's, you know, something that's not healthy for you to hear, feel free to give this one a miss and we will see you next week. Welcome back, everybody. I haven't thought of anything clever, but here we go. It's queer halftime, and my name is Becca. I use she, they pronouns, and I'm here with my co-host, Kelsey, who looks extremely comfy, and I'm very jealous. My name is Kelsey. I also use she, they pronouns. Becca and I are in the same space, but I get the poof, so I feel great about myself. (laughs) Amazing. And we're also very excited to have the amazing Cheyenne from the Edmonton Two-Spirit Society. Hello. Hello, <laughs> Hello, relatives. Awesome. Shad, do you want to start off with just telling people what you want them to know about yourself? Sure. Um, so, yeah, Cheyenne Mikokiheo Nitsugatsun. My name is Cheyenne Mikokiheo. Uh, Mikokiheo Ikweo is my ceremonial name, uh, which means um, red eagle being or blood eagle being. Um, and that name um, is something that I decided to carry as my legal name. So, um, you know, my indigeneity and how I walk through this world, uh, both in and out of ceremony is, is inherently tied with each other. So that's why I chose to take that name um, for my last name. Um, I use they, them pronouns as well. Um, I'm non-binary, two-spirit, um, Tastiwinawak, part of the Tastiwinawak, which means I'm part of the in-between people, um, which is uh, in relation to our eight gender teachings in the Cree culture. Um, I'm the current community liaison for Edmonton Two-Spirit Society. Um, I'm also uh, one of two Amiskuchiwaskaigin um, uh, Two-Spirit Warriors uh, for 2021-2022, and I hold that title alongside uh, our wonderful community member Rob Gurney, aka LaDonna Cree. and um, what else am I? I'm also the board chair for a local high school in Edmonton called Boyle Street Education Center. Um, and I do drag. I'm also a two-spirit drag artist uh, by the name of Tugs Kuchina. Um, and yeah, that's a little brief a bit about me. <laughs> oh my God, I think I might have seen you. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now that I'm thinking, I'm like, that name sounds really familiar. Oh my gosh, that's very cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm part of La, La Casa de Cucina, so I have a drag mom, uh, and her name is Selena Cucina. So you might have also seen Selena and, and just be relating to the Cucina name. Maybe. I'm fairly new. I started doing drag in August. Wow. Oh, okay, then maybe yeah, it was your drag mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <a> little, baby. <laughs> little drag baby. <laughs> I'm also in the House of Bay as well. Uh, okay. Which is Colin Bay. Oh, yes, love house. that's so funny um so we um obviously me and kelsey are very pale white people um if you watched last week's video i looked especially ghostly um um, and we have started serving some two-spirit youth uh which is really cool to see but i was wondering if you could kind of give what two-spirit means to you because obviously we don't want to you know give our definition of it yeah sure um anytime anybody asks me what does two-spirit mean I always tell them I don't really know uh and I'm a two-spirit person myself and the reason that I don't really know is because um although we are like under the same umbrella of of two-spirit as a placeholder term, um, we all come from different nations. And so that means that we come with different cultural teachings around gender and sexuality. And two-spirit is really meant to be 
a placeholder term that folks can use while they're reconnecting to their Indigenous language, their Indigenous teachings. Um, so that term was gifted to us by an elder named Myra Laramie uh, back in um, 1990 at the international, or it wasn't international yet, it was the Native American Gay and Lesbian Conference. Um, it was the third annual. Uh, and, um, you know, that conference is still going on. It's been happening for, we're having our 35th year this year. E2S held it last year. We hosted it um, at Métis Crossing. So it's it's a long-standing group of individuals who have been doing the work in the community since the 90s. Since I was a little kid, this work was happening um, for me before I even realized it, which I think is just super cool. Um, but yeah, so for me, being Two-Spirit is really like a way of connecting to my indigeneity within a Cree context. Um, as a Nihiao person, it's really important for me to ensure that um, I'm like connecting it as much as possible to my culture, to my teachings. I also have a cat who's got the zoomies behind me right now. So he's jumping up and you hear him meowing. Oh, um, we we hear people get to hear my pets all the time. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so for me being a two-spirit person or being part of the Tatsuya Winnewalk, that <laughs> there he is, um, being part of the in-between people uh, means that I'm able to transcend the kind of, um, you know, traditional concept of the binary of male, female. I feel like I've always kind of felt like I've been in between those two concepts. And um, when I started learning that my culture has these eight teachings of gender uh, and realizing that there was a space for me um, within that context, a cultural context, that was like really empowering and uplifting. So um, yeah, I can't speak for all two, two spirit people. I'm just one guy. Um, and I'm also not an elder or a knowledge carrier. And I like to really own that and be transparent in that, that everything that I share comes from my own experiences, me offering protocol to my elders, sitting in community with other knowledge carriers, other two-spirit people, and learning what it means to, to them to be two-spirit. So um, I really recommend like anybody who wants to know what two-spirit is to try and talk to as many two-spirit people as possible, because we're not a monolithic group, even though, like I said, we all fall under that same umbrella. We have just such a wide range of beings that consider themselves to be two-spirit. So um, yeah, mine comes from a very Cree perspective. Amazing. <laughs> it's so interesting because you can't, like, we can't explain that, right? Like, and like, you all, have, like, in a very, very dumbed down version of that, like, I always say, like, you can't explain being queer as a straight person. So it's like, as white people, we serve these amazing kiddos that identify as two spirit. And sometimes they even come up and they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I wish I could tell you, but I can't <laughs> like, you know, I can read you a definition off the internet, but that's not the way to share that. Yeah. And those definitions are often written by exactly. like white people, right. Or people who have no connection to the two spirit community. And a lot of the like historical information that we have on gender diverse folks um, comes from like anthropologists. And those were like primarily white anthropologists doing this work in our communities. And it's great because we do have historical information more so in the States. I'm personally not aware of too many historical two-spirit figures up in like the, what is colonially known as Canada, but in the States, there's like Wiwa, there's um, a whole sort of people that are very well known since 1800s um, for being, just being themselves in their community. And that's like in a diverse way, right? Yeah, yeah. that's always so cool to learn about historical people too, that share your identity. Like I love everyone's while just looking up the history of, you know, queer people or like bisexual people um, and finding out like there were you know Romans and like Celts and all these different people like that share my heritage and I'm you know I assume it's a similar feeling 
when you learn about other two-spirit people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And like learning about, like I say, like I don't necessarily have the relation to some of those Navajo individuals or, but like knowing that diversity exists in the world and that that Eurocentric idea of like binarism and not just in sex, but also in gender um, and in sexuality, just that like, you know, cisgenderism and heteronormativity is like so ingrained in our culture. Um, And like as Indigenous people, you know, we really were impacted by, you know, that process of colonization and that really like took a big toll on the way indigenous communities now perceive and receive um, gender and sexually diverse folks right so um, you know there's a lot of people out there who will say well two-spirit doesn't even it's not even a real thing it's so new we just made it up and yeah the term is new but that's because we needed a term to unify us to to collect us together and give us um, a way of like empowering and uplifting ourselves that's not just like you know a slur which is what traditionally the term used for our community was the term verdash which is now like we it's not a term we use please don't call people that um uh, and that's why this need for a new um a new way of existing kind of came out but um yeah it's been really uplifting to be able to see more two-spirit people especially now in a contemporary context you know seeing uh Blake Desjardins who I, I think you mentioned you're going to be interviewing next week um Blake is a huge source of empowerment from our community right now because he's like in the big house he's uh, affecting policy change he's up there talking about important matters to our community right and that's like that's the first time we've had a two-spirit person hold a position of power like that that's like really big for our community. Um, But we have other people doing amazing things too. You know, we've got um, the amazing drag queen, Alona Burley, like seeing Alona on Canada's drag race as the first openly two-spirit Indigenous person was like, I cried. I'm I'm emotional thinking about it right now. Like I cried when I saw her come out and there was a two-spirit flag at one point on Canada's drag race. I'm like, this is like me. I'm represented in my favorite show. Not so much my favorite show now, but at that time, yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm seeing myself and I get to open up for her. I'm so excited. I'm opening up for her on um, June 17th at Evolution Wonder Lounge. Oh my and that's like a whole oh thing for me. I'm just like, I saw her walking and I was like, I really want to do drag. But like when you watch RuPaul's Drag Race and you don't see yourself represented as a drag king, as a, as a AFAB person, as a, as a indigenous two-spirit person, there's no representation of us in that type of media. Um, so alone is the closest that we had. And it was really uplifting for me to see her. And I know that her experience on Drag Race wasn't super positive for her, but um, as a two-spirit person watching her, I was just like, it was so affirming. <laughs> I bet. Oh my gosh. And, and I, I'm always crying. Uh, I'm crying. <laughs> it's all crying. good. It's all good. Emotions are totally fine. <laughs> um, and I was watching, I can't remember, I think it was Nish and Gabe. I don't know how to say the name. It's they're an Instagram account, but they are also. Oh, uh, that's Gabe Calderon. Yes, thank you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But was talking about how like children are given kind of to a certain age bef- to figure out kind of what gender they are. So I'm wondering, like, is that something that you relate to? Like, did you all were you always kind of figuring out you were two spirit from very young, or is it something you come to later in life, kind of like me and Kelsey with our sexualities and gender? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so growing up as like, if you see pictures of me, I could send you them if you wanted to, to see them. But there's like pictures of me where I'm like, I was a tomboy, right? Like I was rejecting gender norms at a really young age. I didn't like girly things. I knew like from as soon as, as far back as I can remember, honestly, that I did not want children. I didn't want to go through the process of birthing a child. Um, 
and all of these like traditionally womanly kind of matriarchal things, um, I just was actively rejecting, but I didn't have language for gender at that time in my life. Like growing up, my family didn't like, we didn't talk about that stuff. And I always kind of knew I was queer. Like I came out as bisexual when I was like 14, but I didn't even really need to come out. Like I, you know, had the conversation with my biological mom, like, Hey, I, I think I need to tell you something. She's like, yeah, I see the sunshine girls on your wall. What, what else? You know, like it was such a no, like, no. And that was the only person I really like came out to. Um, And the process of coming out is a colonial thing in and of itself. Right. Like we, we always say we don't have closets and teepees. We don't need to hide um, in our circle. Uh, And it brings me a lot of like shame or like sadness, I guess I should say, to know that people do feel like they have to hide in indigenous communities. But growing up, my sexuality was never really like an issue. Um, The thing that, oh, hi. Um, The thing that was an issue was not, not having words for gender, not understanding that um, I didn't have to be a girl. I didn't have to be a woman. There was other ways of existing. Um, And so I didn't really come out as two spirit um, until I think like 2018 or so around there. I was still kind of identifying as a woman. Um, When I initially got my ceremonial name, it was Migokeheo Iskweo, which is like bloody go woman. Um, And it just wasn't really sitting right with me. And so I started asking these questions. I was in university at the time, and it was um, through these ceremonies that I would attend with the late Roxanne Tatusis. She was a really um, dear and near person in our community, uh, a big supporter of our two-spirit family, um, has two-spirit child herself. Um, She unfortunately passed away to COVID last year, so it was a big heavy loss for us. But she was one of the first people where I would ask these questions to, of like, what is two-spirit? And what do I, like, how do I know if I am? And she would never just give me the answers because it doesn't work that way, right? (laughs) <laughs> always just encouraged me to, to look inside myself, to go into ceremony, to smudge and pray on it, um, and to do those things that connects us to, like, the creator connects us to our ancestors. Um, and so we were in a, a sweat lodge one day, actually. She took me to a lodge. Um, and I, I had already offered my protocol. I had already offered my my prayers to the escapios, to the, to the lodge helper, and we were sitting in the lodge. And if you've never been in a sweat lodge, it's really dark. Like, there's no light coming in. You're just in darkness. It's, it's supposed to, like, emulate the womb, right? Um, and so when you're in the lodge, there's four rounds in a Cree lodge. Um, and so it was like the end of the first round and the elder had just asked like, does anyone have any questions? And it was like flew out of my mouth. I wasn't intending to come there to ask this, but I was like, how do I know if I'm two spirit? And his answer was like, and again, I don't want to throw any shade to this elder because I don't know what his life experience is, if he has experiences in the residential school system, what, but his first sentence that he said was don't concern yourself with that. And then he went on this rant about babies and having kids and womanly stuff. And and it was like devastating to me. I was in ceremony where I was supposed to be asking those questions. And um, I was basically shut down by like this cis man. And so I left the lodge. And I, I, I did go back in. I, I Between each round, you can kind of have a break. You can step out of the lodge if you need to. And so I was like, I was like crying. And I'm like, oh, I want to have babies. Oh, like I always knew I didn't want to have kids. My friend's like, Shan, like at that time I was working with the old Strathcona Youth Society. So I was working with unhoused youth in the community. And she's like, well, you have lots of kids. Like you got, to, you got other people's babies that you're taking care of. Like you're already motherly in that sense. You don't need to like have a birth and don't let that sit with you, right? And so, you know, I chatted with them and I went back into the lodge. And I just like prayed and cried and just like, I came out of that lodge knowing like, yeah, I'm too spirit. I don't need this guy to 
affirm my identity. I need the lodge to affirm that identity because it not, he's not speaking through the ancestors right now. He's speaking from a lens of colon, colonization. He's speaking from a lens of, of stigma and shame towards what it means to be too two-spirit and not really understanding what it means right um so yeah I, I i haven't always held those teachings but it's been since about 2018 or so that i started to take claim to that concept um and um it's only been really in the last like year and a half that i've been really learning what that means learning more from a cultural context receiving those teachings sitting with my elders and meeting people all across canada that's like the most beautiful thing and like that the biggest privilege i have in this role is not only like being paid to do ceremony is like such a huge privilege but getting to meet the heavy hitters that led the resurgence movement that got E2S to be to where it is today. We wouldn't be who we are without the generations of people that came before us. So um, yeah, I, I haven't always known, but I'm, I'm here now figuring it out now. Um, but I think like uh, since I was a young kid, I was always, I was always diverse. I was always like that something else, you know? Yeah. I love hearing people's journeys because we watch like we serve a lot of queer youth and we watch them kind of like explore these things and go through their own little journey and it's nice like especially because we can't relate to every single journey that we see happening in our space but it's cool to like be able to provide spaces that the kids can listen and hear what this could look like in the future for them right and like the kids that are like how do I know if I'm two spirit or what does that mean for me? Like, it's okay to not know what that means for you. And it's okay to be on a journey to figure that out. And that's kind of what it's all about. Right. Absolutely. And maybe you're not even two spirit and that's okay. Maybe that term doesn't actually fit with you. Like I use that term, but like I say, it's not my favorite term. I prefer to refer to myself as Equeo or part of the Taz Unilock. Like I don't really, um, I, because that was the intention, right. was for me to reconnect to the Nihiawewin, like to the Cree language. Um, but not all indigenous people who identify as queer or trans are two spirit. Not everybody wants to engage in the cultural practices that come along with being two spirit. Right. So, um, it's such a personal journey. And it's okay, no matter where you are on that journey, like, it's okay, you're, you're still valid, you still belong, you're still part of the circle, it just is your journey to figure out no one can make that that claim for you, right? Absolutely. And I do have a question for you. And obviously, <laughs> this is just your your own personal opinion. I'm not asking you to speak for, <laughs> for two spirit people. Um, we have gotten quite a few questions because we in our acronym, we say 2S LGBTQ+. So we put the 2S first. Um, and we've gotten questions about that, about why and all these things. I was just wondering what your personal thoughts are. Kind of on that. That's a great question too. And so again, one that I get a lot asked. Um, I actually have started putting a slash sometimes between the 2S and the LGBTQIA. So the reason we put the 2S at the front is not to like negate everybody else under the rainbow umbrella. It's really to honor that the concepts of gender and sexuality within an indigenous lens predates the idea of colonization, predates the idea of binary. Um, and that essentially, you know, these are uh, very like ancestral knowledges that we carry. And so we're just honoring that element. Um, it's it's also just a way of recognizing that two-spirit people have been kind of left behind in the conversations um, around truth and reconciliation, around um, what it means to decolonize, right? Like when we're, when we're using these kind of keywords, these buzzwords, we're uh, oftentimes negating two-spirit people. If you look at the um, 
the Truth and Reconciliation Calls to Action. You can actually pull up the document, like the PDF document. Um, you can pull up the final report and the calls to action and do a search. Not a single mention of Two-Spirit People. Actually, that's not true. There's one mention of Two-Spirit People in the final report, but it was like, we did a focus group for Two-Spirit People. That's it. Wow. There's not a single mention of queer or trans indigenous people anywhere in the calls to action. And that's included in the United Nations Declaration of Rights for Indigenous People. So by putting the 2S at the front, we're just making a little bit of an acknowledgement that our community has been largely left behind in these conversations. Um, and that, you know, we uh, historically, not to say that we were here first, but like historically, we were kind of already existing and thriving as gender and sexually diverse people before some of these newer concepts came out. Um, but again, it's not like meant to be a hierarchical thing. It's not meant to be a, we're better than you. We need to be at the front. Um, you know, it's not at all like that. And that's why I also like to put the slash. The slash acknowledges that not all two-spirit people follow that whole rainbow acronym either, right? Not all two-spirit people are queer or trans and, and vice versa. Um, so that's kind of my personal perception. I personally, when I see people put the two S at the front, it shows me that they're acknowledging who we are. Some people will drop the S and which I don't agree with at all. Um, we're not just, it's not a two. This isn't like you, you know, like so please stop <laughs> dropping the S. <laughs> um, Cause that like, is just a little annoyance for me personally. <laughs> totally. We do this LG, BTQ 101 training, this queer 101 training for organizations sometimes. And we always like to do this activity where we're like, tell us what the letters in the acronym mean. Like, just what do the words stand for? And I'm telling you, the amount of times we get straight for that S, I'm like, <laughs> straight. You don't get a letter. Like, don't get a letter. <laughs> You're the allies. <laughs> you don't get the letter. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting because it, even that kind of speaks to how little knowledge there is about this community right and we see so many kids like we've had it's interesting because we keep statistics on the kiddos and even just giving them a space to explore things it's interesting to watch when they register for group they will like things change like some of our indigenous kiddos would identify as gay originally and then now they're like oh I identify as two-spirit and like just like the evolution of that because they're in a space where at least people just know what that means or can respect what that means and I think that that's what's so empowering right is you've got to like we always we do this for the kids like that's why we do yep. this is for the kids so oh yeah. yeah, and I, I, for the kids, absolutely, but, like, for every Indigenous person that's, like, feeling like they just don't have a space or that they're, like, too, so for, for me personally, like, oftentimes I'll feel like I'm too white for Indigenous spaces. I really try to amplify my Indigeneity. I wear my braids, I got my beads on, you know, like, I try to really, like, because I know that I'm fairly white passing and I acknowledge that there's a, a privilege that I carry in that. But there's like a lot of two-spirit people, people out there where like we're too queer for indigenous spaces and we're too white for indigenous spaces or we're too indigenous for queer spaces, right? And so like, how do you reconcile that? And like, you're constantly having to consider which part of my identity can I expose today? Which part of my identity, am I allowed to be indigenous and queer today? Or do I need to just be indigenous and straight passing? Like, you know, so these are like constant conversations that you're having to think so um that's hard for kids who are like still developing their tender little brains you know like um I'm an adult and I'm having these conversations and I'm like this is hard uh, so yeah. like kiddos you're doing great like you got this <laughs> <laughs> I do it makes me so happy to see kiddos kind of figuring it out so young 
because yeah I know me and Kelsey have talked about this it took us quite a while (laughs) so it's very exciting getting to see them living as themselves from such a young age absolutely and there's a whole idea of like oh you're messing up the the kid's brain you're not giving them a chance to be children but that's like the exact opposite of what we're doing actually we're actually allowing them to explore gender and sexuality in a way that makes sense for them and they should have that opportunity they shouldn't be stifled in that growth and that experiences that they're going to have from going through that journey right so the kids are all right yeah I did a presentation a year and a half ago no maybe like two years ago now when I was working for HIV Edmonton still, and it was like a small uh, GSA in a library. And um, they had really interesting questions about things like trans and like, how do you have sex as a trans person? What does that look like when you're on hormones? What about kink? How do we, how do we explore kink and and get into it in a safe way so that when we're adults, we're, we're able to have those conversations. And I'm like, how old are you? Like you're like 16 and you're having this, some really intense conversations here. Like the kids are not, um, they're not like so absent-minded. Like I think a lot of adults tend to put on children, like kids are smart, Absolutely. they're perceptive, they're attentive. Um, and they deserve to have all of the supports that as adults that we have as well. Right. Obviously in, in more, you know, fitting ways. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, we've talked about this before about like conversations around starting sex ed and consent very, very young. Um, and you know, nobody's saying to teach at kindergarten, like, okay, like P and V equals baby. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but about like your friend doesn't want to hug, so you have to respect that. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, early conversations around consent is super important. Um, I think that goes, goes back to that idea of like sex is shameful or sex is dirty, sex is like inherently uh, like nasty, you know, and like it doesn't need to be like that. Like I think there's ways of com- like having conversations around our bodies and and these kind of things in a way that makes sense to the person that we're talking to, right? And so obviously you're going to have to adapt those conversations um, depending on which group you're in. Um, but like an absence of those conversations is like so detrimental, right? Like we, we need to be having those conversations in a way that makes sense totally kids will kids find information that they feel like they need and I always say to parents I'm telling you you may not want to have that talk but I after your kid has done a bunch of reading on Google you will have wished you had that talk because then those questions get real intense and like so uh, that's all the parents holy (laughs) my whole life I've known it I don't want children. I might adopt when I'm a little bit older, but like, um, parents are whew, yeah. <laughs> tough people too. Seriously. <laughs> we get them a couple hours a Absolutely. week and we're like, have a great weekend. you like, you know, cause <laughs> see you later. <laughs> so yeah. Especially the parents that pull up with a car full of like, yeah. four kids. I'm like I don't know how you do it. <laughs> well done. So my big question is what, like, what how can like obviously we are white people in a primarily white queer space so most of our kiddos that are accessing our space are white how could and I know the best way to find out how to support community is to ask them directly just (laughs) from your standpoint what are things that we could do to make our space more inclusive or to kind of show that we are at least open to learning and open to the conversations and we're committed to making sure that everybody has a space in our space. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. I think one of the biggest things is like accessibility mm-hmm. to things and visibility to things. So like having um, guest speakers in your space who can talk about different communities that they belong to that other youth in your space might also relate to, mm-hmm. right? So if you have two-spirit kiddos, bringing in some two-spirit elders or community members to just like, you know, hang out, do a games night, yeah. do, you know, like, it doesn't necessarily need to be like all educational all, all the time, but those conversations naturally developed when you provide the space for that to happen. Right. Okay. Um, I think too, if you're one of the big things I think um, that doesn't really get talked to, or I guess it gets talked about, but that I talk about a lot is like, if you're engaging in ceremony with youth. So if you're doing a pipe ceremony in your space, or if you're bringing the youth to a sweat, making sure that the elder that you're bringing them to is too spirit friendly and aware. Um, a lot of times when we go to ceremony, if the lodge keeper doesn't understand our identities, we might be forced to sit somewhere. So um, oftentimes men sit on the left, women sit on the right. Um, But in a two-spirit friendly space, two-spirit people should be allowed to sit where they feel most called to, right? Um, Another conversation is like, if you're bringing us a a teen to a ceremony, like a sweat lodge, where there's rules around or teachings around menstruation, you might want to have a conversation. Like if you have a trans male who's, you know, currently on his moon time, um, how is that, is he going to be allowed in the law? What are the conversations around that? What what do they wear? Mm-hmm. Are they allowed to wear pants if they have, you know, quote unquote, a vulva, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, not that you're going to say, that came out so weird. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> if you're an AFAB person yeah. and you want to wear pants, is that going to be allowed, yeah. right? Like, um, sorry, that's so awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think just like making sure, I, and I don't know how much ceremony you engage in with your youth, but if that's something that you do or you're considering, then, you know, making sure that the elders that you're working with or the, the knowledge carers that you're working with are too spirit friendly or queer friendly, mm-hmm. um, you know, because that's, that's a big thing for us. Um, another thing is like really just, uh, yeah, providing opportunities for folks to engage in their culture um, or engage in that learning, um, having like books about like two spirit, there's some two spirit uh, youth books. You could put on, you know, Gabe Calderon has um, a book coming out uh, that could be something that goes on your shelf. Totally. It's written by a two-spirit person. So it's not a big grand gesture that you have to do, but it's a two-spirit kiddo coming in and seeing that book on the shelf and being like, hey, I see myself on that cover or I see myself in the words that are written here. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Um, you know, so little shifts like that. Um, a big thing is like pronouns. And I'm sure that's something that you're already doing, but respecting people's pronouns, asking what pronouns are using you might need to check in because kids are going through that process of learning and discovery. Their pronouns might change 16,000 times a day. Honor it no matter how many times it changes, yeah. even if it's kind of annoying. Um, it's not your journey, it's theirs, <laughs> yeah. right? And they're figuring it out. So we need to hold space for that and honor that. Yeah. Um, it's not enough just to have a rainbow sticker on your window anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like there needs to be larger conversations around um, how we're engaging. What does your intake form look like? Um, you know, it, do kiddos get to self-identify what they think their gender or sexuality is, is two-spirit an option for that, right? Um, I know like AHS, a lot of the times when you're trying to do documents, you know, you can't self-declare as two-spirit, but then when you did the COVID process, um, they had an option for you in their documents to be able to self-declare as two-spirit, which is like incredible. That was like such a a small change um, where I was like, I'm on a form, (laughs) yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like so stupid, but it's just one thing of like, I, I am valid in my existence. Yeah. 
Yeah. So little shifts that you can make inside and just checking in with the two spirit kiddos. What do they need? Do they need to connect to us at E2S? Maybe we need to develop more of a relationship where I come in and do outreach once a month or something. You know what I mean? Something like that, where it's just um, making it accessible. I think accessibility is just the biggest thing to, and, and that goes to any community that you're serving, right? Like if you're working with Muslim youth, do you have queer Muslim people that you're also connecting them okay. to, right? Like, are you connecting them to EMCN and their queer group? Um, are, like Salam Edmonton is another group that you could potentially connect with. So making sure that any group from any demographic sees themselves in your space is going to be really important. And it, again, doesn't need to be some big thing. There's little shifts that you can do, including the artwork that you put on the walls, the book that you have on yourselves, um, the movies that you play in your space, right? Like just ways of affirming people that, hey, this is a space where you belong and we love you no matter who you are and what you bring to the table. Amazing. I was like, I can see Becca writing notes, you know, because in like, because even us, we, so Becca and I, like, uh, neither of us have even worked here for a full year yet, but the, our culture, the culture of our office at Out Loud and the kids that we're seeing has shifted so much that we're very aware that we need to like shift with it. Right. And like keep up with the Joneses, which I hate that saying, but, but really though, like, that's what it is. So like, originally we had like six youth that were cis gender. There was like one or two kids that identified as trans and they were all white and like, it was a very small group. And now we're serving like 60 and like the diversity is just like so broad. And it's like, that's our job. You know, when you're serving youth, it's your job to do this work and to figure out like, how can I show them that I am committed to learning about them? I'm committed to getting them the supports that they need. And I'm committed to acknowledging when I don't know everything about something. So that's, I think that's really hard for people to do, to be like, I don't know. And that's why I'm really transparent that I'm not an elder or an elder yeah. carrier. And I don't have all the answers. I'm one, one, two spirit human on a path of cultural reclamation, you know, and it's hard. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's really great that you've had a lot of growth. Congratulations. It's yeah. kind of scary. And that's <laughs> the thing, right? It's like, it's that balance of when you give them the space, they will come because they are, they need it so badly. So like, how do we make it work for absolutely all of them, which we will never be able to do. We have learned, but we can sure try. <laughs> like, you can try, yeah. yeah, as long as your resources and your time and capacity allow you to. And if, and if you can show that you're putting in the effort and you show that you just give a heck about the kids, like that in and of itself. So when I was young, I like, I grew up in a really abusive household. There's a lot of child abuse. And like, I was raised by people like my biological aunt and I love her now. It's no tear shade to her. We have a good relationship now, but growing up, it was really hard. And um, I left home at 14 and it was spaces like iHuman Youth Society, um, uh, Old Strathcona Youth Society that welcomed me in as like a kind of strung out high on meth 14 year old um, with a lot of behavioral issues, a lot of trauma, and only now as a 34-year-old, I'm understanding my trauma and I'm understanding my disability as a person with ADHD and what that, how it impacts all of my life, right? Um, but, you know, when I was young, it was going into spaces, community-driven spaces with people who just like took the time to say, I see you, how are you? 
what can I, what can I get for you in this moment right now? What can I do? What do you need? What kind of love can I give you? And though like who just saw Cheyenne, they didn't see the high flaily native kid, you know, they saw the human in me. And so that's my biggest, like, if you're working in community, you need to see the humanity and the people that you're working with and what they're bringing to the table, because you don't know what a person's carrying and, and having those spaces like out loud are so important to our development, to our community involvement, to just seeing ourselves as, as valid beings who deserve to live. Um, you know, those spaces are suicide prevention. So I commend you for the work oh, that you're doing. Thank you. But absolutely, like, honestly, for Becca and I, it's mental health support as well, right? Like these queer kids, like <laughs> give us things. Yeah. So much yeah, serotonin. So like, <laughs> yeah, it's- <laughs> the kids realize that either. Like in my work, um, it's getting to connect with people in community and and folks like you, other two spirit folks. That gives me life. Yeah. Like that's I love working in community. I love working frontline. And it's because when I was like, like I say, when I was in a rough way, community was what held me and what got me off the streets, what got me off of drugs or at least meth, um, and and got me to a place in my life where I'm like, you know, I'm proud of who I am today. But I had to go through all. All of that to get to where I am now. Um, and there's no shame in that. No, right? not at all. And we have so many kids that are going through things like that. And the amount of hope that I know it brings them to hear that you can go through like a lot of this really, really deep stuff and then kind of come out the other side and still be learning and still be growing. It's really, really impactful for them. So I like, we appreciate you immensely for coming on and being vulnerable about that right because that's what these kids need to hear we hear a lot of a lot of parents also come to us and they're like I'm just worried about the future for my kid and like the discrimination is so scary and like all of the hate is so scary and these are the conversations that we need to have more because like we are all members of the queer community we're all trying we're all successful which I hate saying but you know (laughs) we're socially successful and we're socially like adequate and that's what like people need to see is that we can you know come help the other side of like going through these things because a lot of like the hopelessness you see in kids sometimes and and parents when they're kind of like first coming out and first exploring their identity and their sexuality it can be it can be a lot. So these conversations kind of like show them that like, we are okay. (laughs) Like, you know, we were traumatized and we went through a lot and we had, you know, the really crappy experiences, but we're okay. Yeah. And healing is a process, right? Like it doesn't happen overnight. And, and same with those questions, those big questions of like, who am I? And what does this mean? How do I navigate the world with this understanding that I'm queer or I'm trans or I'm two spirit. Right. And like at the bottom line, like none of like it, it's just also irrelevant when you're like, I just need to know that I exist and that I'm here and that I can feel my feet on the ground and just seeing other people existing with their feet on the ground as queer and trans people is just so like, it's just so important to have. So I don't know if any of that made sense. It totally <laughs> did. It totally, totally did. hundred percent. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> 
Um, and you've kind of mentioned this journey towards like cultural reclamation and kind of getting back in touch. And I was wondering if you wanted to speak on that. Yeah. So that kind of started, like I say, I didn't. So my grandparents were both residential school survivors. Um, I don't know my biological father. So there's like a whole part of my identity that I have difficulty taking claim to. Like I know he's white, so I know I'm half settler, but I don't know like where he's from or where his family's from. I don't know his name. I don't know any of this information. So I don't take claim to generic whiteness. Like I'm not just going to like, I I acknowledge that I'm part settler. I, I, I hold that and then I carry privilege in that, but I focus on my indigeneity from my mother's side. So um, basically everybody on my mom's side is, is Cree from Driftpile Cree Nation in Northern Alberta. But my grandmother made the active and conscious choice to raise her children in Edmonton. And in doing so, she kind of separated us from ceremony. She separated us from living on the land and learning all these traditional things. Like we would go to round dances and, and powwows, but I didn't lift a pipe with my grandmother. She spoke fluent Cree and I learned like the bad words, like, you know, um, like a guy, which, you know, my drag name is kind of based off of that bad word, like tugs is like shorthand for that word. Um, but like, I didn't really know these, like, I didn't learn the language. I didn't have an opportunity to engage. And my grandfather was actually quite connected. My grandfather would go to ceremonies. He was well known in Driftpal. Um, he was a champion powwow dancer at like age 51 is when he started dancing. Um, and he was dancing all the way up in his seventies before he passed with his walker, like powwow dancing. Oh, wow. Dance, like so fierce. Um, but I, we didn't really start connecting to him until like the later years of his life. So like I say, I left for, I left home at 14 and was like in um, Boyle street education center for high school and that's when i started to learn about ceremony that's when i started lifting the pipe i started doing these things but um i was like still on meth for the first three years of of high school it took me a little while to to get out of that cycle um and uh as much as i was learning i wasn't really fully immersed in it yet i wanted to be um but i just wasn't quite there yet and i also didn't know how to have these conversations outside of boyle street i didn't know how to access ceremony outside of the school so when i left the school um i had a couple years between when I left high school and when I started university, there was this downtime of like, how do I find a, a, a sweat? How do I, how do I do this? I want to go to a pipe ceremony. How do I do this? And not knowing, not knowing how to connect. Um, and then I started going to university. It was really with Roxanne Tatusis when I started connecting to Roxanne and also elder Elsie Paul Cookham. When we started to, to learn from her, like those are two elders that I really hold in high reverence because they were some of the first people to pass teachings to me, to hold space for me as an, like a newbie in my cultural journey, you know? Um, so I'm in the process now of like, you know, um, yeah, receiving these teachings. The next step will be receiving the agender teachings and actually sitting down and, and offering that. But it takes a lot to, to, to get into your culture, right? Like you need to have resources, um, which aren't necessarily financial, but like you need to have elders, you need to have the community spaces to ask those questions or get connected. And that can be kind of hard. So it's, it's been a journey. Um, you know, I, I'm slowly learning my language as well, which has been a really beautiful thing. I am starting to understand more of the language. Uh, I can kind of string small sentences together, not a whole lot, but like, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a newbie, but it's, um, it's been really gratifying to go through this experience and to show my family, Hey, we are indigenous. It's okay if we reconnect to these teachings. When my grandfather passed away, we all lifted the pipe together. And that was the first time I'd been in ceremony with my family. And I'm longing for that. 
I'm craving that. I want my family in ceremony with me. So one of um, my, when I, again, I was raised by my aunt. So um, her daughter, uh, I, I call her my sister, but she's my cousin. Her and I are probably the closest in that process of going to ceremony, learning the language. Um, and I'm so grateful that she's going through that process too, because it's another person in her family where it's like, this is who we are and we don't need to hide from it anymore. Just because our grandmother had that shame she carried from going through the schools. She was devout, religious, right? She never was in ceremony. She was in church. And so now I'm at the point where I'm like, I actively, um, I, I deny any sort of religion. I will not attend any Christmas, Easter, any holiday that is centered around religion. I don't attend. And I'm sure my family is kind of uncomfortable with that, but like, it's a way because they're like, well, we honor grandma by having these events. And I say, but we're not, we're actually honoring her hurt and her pain by continuing to honor the religious background that she carried. Right. We're, we're continuing her, her hurt from being a residential school survivor. So yeah, the, the process of cultural reclamation is really like one of like denouncing religion. I accept that it's for other people and I acknowledge that other people want to engage in that. It's not for me. Um, I see myself in the lodge. I see myself hopefully um, fasting in the next next year. I really want to do sun dance at some point. I'm just, I'm not quite there yet on my journey. So, um, you know, other people are further ahead. Some people are further behind, but at the end of the day, it's not a competition, right? Like we, you are where you're meant to be. And I'm, I feel like I'm exactly where I'm meant to be in my life right now. And it's, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty around me, but um, I'm grateful to, uh, you know, go to two spirit sweat lodges, like Dr. James McCocus and his husband, Anthony, um, they won the, the amazing race a few years back you might know them yeah. um they, they held the two-spirit sweat lodge for us at the international two-spirit gathering and there was about 25 two-spirit people in that lodge it was the only lodge i've ever been in full of just our community there was one man in there who's not two-spirit and that was james's dad so he's a fierce and that was the lodge like I had to tell people who had never been in a lodge before and they were like this is the most incredible thing ever of like I'm really sorry but this isn't how the lodge is all the time you're not always going to get to sit where you want you're not always going to get to wear what you want you're not going to get to be topless and it not be a sexual thing right like you're just in the moment with the lodge and that's how it should be so yeah that was a long-winded answer um you know it's 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 a it's a journey it's it's not always easy um you know sometimes elders have different thoughts or different beliefs that they carry and our elders have healing to do too right like our elders went through the processes of colonization they went through the schools they went through the 60s scoop um and so we need to also encourage them and support them in their healing and their growth because they're our elders and we love them but we also need them to do that work for us too right yeah, that's a lot my long-winded answer. <laughs> but oh, that's all good. It was a great answer. <laughs> it's, I'm such a tangent talker. I think it's the ADHD. But you know what though? It's like it's how do you, it's one of those things that how do you explain it without taking like a chunk of time, you know? Because like I'm sure you could talk forever about these kinds <laughs> of things. Like everybody, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, and I, I have a question that's purely for my own interest. <laughs> Um, so I studied language revitalization uh, in university and worked with the Penticton Indian Band. And I was just curious, are there language programs for Cree in the area for you to relearn your language and connect with your culture in that way? Yeah. So through the pandemic, I was doing an online um, Cree class with um, 
the Edmonton Public Library, uh, the Center for okay. Race and Culture. Uh, I believe they have a Cree class as well. But we're hoping to partner with the Chu Project. That's kind of a preliminary conversation that's happening with um, the Chu Project because they have uh, opportunity for a conversational Cree class. Um, so we're hoping that once we get an office space, that's something that we can start to do for our community. Um, so there are opportunities in the city, and I'm sure I'm missing some that I don't even know about. Um, a lot of it is like virtual, which is great. That's kind of the silver line of the pandemic, we have more opportunities now to engage and um, yeah, capacity just prevented me from continuing to attend those meetings. But um, yeah, I think it's really important that we have more opportunities. So there, there is a few. Um, and like I say, I'm sure there's more that I'm not even aware of. Cool. That's really, that's really good to hear. <laughs> yeah, and like some schools are even incorporating it, like at the school that I'm the chair for Boyle Street Education Center, big shout out to them. I'm, I'm such a huge, they saved my life. So like, I will always preach about them. Um, but BSEC has a conversational Creek class as well. And what they would, I, I don't know if they're having it right now, because they're at the end of the year, but um, they would just do beating and just talk Cree um, and just learn that way. Cause it's a very like informal kind of setting where you're getting to do something and, and talk. And, and that's how languages really are learned, right? You're learned by immersing yourself in them. So um, yeah. conversational kind of settings are really important. That's cool. Yeah, it'd be really cool to see like, obviously you need capacity, but like a languageness kind of thing, mm -hmm. like for little kids. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there completely is. off topic. There's like a graded <laughs> journeys course through, um, Edmonton Catholic Schools, uh, which is an Indigenous focused um, program. There's also Ben Calf Robe School, and I'm sure they do uh, Cree teachings as well. Um, but there's also other Indigenous groups in this area, right? So like, I don't know where someone yeah. would go to learn Michif or, um, you know, Sioux or Stony or, or any of these other languages that are also prominent in this area. Again, I come with a very Cree perspective, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was only asking you about Korean. I, I hope that there's opportunities for folks to engage in those languages because they're beautiful too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was made very clear to me very quickly that language is culture and culture is language. Like mm -hmm. that so much is yeah. wrapped up in it. Yeah, um, it's so beautiful. <laughs> is there anything that we, you really wanted to talk about that we have not gotten to? Well, maybe I'll just talk a little bit about E2S yeah, and kind of the service sure. and supports that we offer. Um, so Edmonton Two-Spirit Society is what we call an intergenerational organization, meaning that um, the foundation of the work that we're doing now was laid by different working groups um, who were doing this work in Edmonton prior to us. So uh, Ryan Buffalo, Dr. James Macopius, Richard Jenkins, Edward LaValle, um, all of these individuals at one point or time and another had a different working group in the city and E2S was kind of developed out of those groups. Um, so it started initially as as like a working board, which was just like, you know, uh, a group of friends trying to make this organization work, but living their lives as well. So doing everything that an organization demands basically on the side of their desk of their normal day-to-day -day jobs. And we're so grateful that they put in all that time and work and, and applied for the grants that got us to be hired. So even though we're small, um, right now it's just myself as the community liaison, and we have a, an interim executive director, uh, and that's um, Kitsala Carson. Um, and Presh is amazing. They're um, a really cool human. Um, but yeah, so we do a number of different things. We're kind of in transitional period right now because we're, we're hoping to secure a new office space for July. And once that office space is up and running, we'll have more succinct programs and services that we'll be able to offer. Um, but some of the things that we can offer right now to folks are like peer support. If folks need um, conversations, they have bigger questions, they 
They just want to have someone to vent to. Like my phone is open. My email is open. People can call me. I'm happy to provide peer for support or provide a referral to somewhere that might um, be a better fit for you. Um, I can also offer um, access to like elders. It's a bit different right now. We're kind of just um, figuring out our knowledge carrier circle and how that's going to work. Make sure it's a reciprocal relationship for everybody. So um, we do have a couple elders that we work with, but right now it's probably virtual is probably best for connecting folks with elders. Um, we also offer, um, yeah, all sorts of stuff. Uh, we're hoping to invite people to ceremony to be able to access um, social events, uh, stuff like um, bead making, beadwork, um, making ribbon skirts. We're hoping to do um, like a youth specific focused event. Um, I also have traditional medicines. If there's like a two-spirit person that doesn't have any smudge or sweetgrass, uh, we can offer that for free um, anytime. Like that's not a big issue. Um, and we have some events coming up for summer. Uh, so we're partnering with Pride Corner on June 24th and doing a two-spirit takeover of the corner, which we're really excited wow. about. Um, and we are also doing um, a couple sharing circles. One will be virtual, one will be in person. Um, and these don't, these will be get announced on our social media in the next few days. Um, and we're also going to have a fundraiser coming up in July as well. Um, July 17th potentially is the date. So again, once all these details are finalized, it'll be made available for the public to be able to come and attend. Um, and our events, if they're, um, they're generally open to anybody unless otherwise specified that this is a closed thing specifically for two-spirit people. So the sharing circles will probably be closed to just two-spirit people, but anybody can come to the pride corner or anybody can come to our other events. That is so yeah, cool. That's a cool thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. We have really big ideas and we have really big goals. We just are in, like I say, a period of transition, like since uh, end of January, we've been kind of transitioning and it's, it's taken a lot longer than we expected. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. We just need to make sure that our home fire is okay. We're hoping to secure some grants to hire more staff mm -hmm. as well, which is going to be really important for the work that we do. Cause I can only do so much. Kitsala can only do so much. Our board can only do so much. Um, so hopefully we'll have some employment opportunities for two spirit people coming up as well. We just want to give more opportunities for people to engage, to learn, to grow, and to get paid to do that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so exciting. We will, obviously, <laughs> we will also share everything that you share because these oh, yeah. opportunities are so freaking important. So if you don't follow Edmonton to Spirit Society on social media, please go do that right now. Yeah, you can just basically look up Edmonton Two Spirit Society. We don't have a streamline of all the ads mm -hmm. yet. Um, someone already had at E2S on Instagram. So <laughs> we might have, For what? Might have to in. Um, I, I don't wonder. know. And they have like no posts. They know nothing. It's just a dead account. So oh, like, I hate dang it. That. I hate when that happens. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we're 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 hoping that we'll have more to offer community. We also acknowledge that we've been kind of falling off the radar the last couple of months. We do apologize, um, but it's just been a period of transition for us. So we're almost there. We're we're getting there, and we're you know we're excited about summer. Oh, and we're also partnering with Pride Fest. How could I forget that? Um, we're we're uh, supporting the Pride Fest event, which will be at Churchill Square on um, June 24th and 25th. Uh, you can catch us on the Rainbow Road. Uh, you can also catch us at um, the Beaumont event, Fort Saskatchewan Pride, St. Albert. Um, you can catch us at the Mayor Pride brunch. Um, and yeah, so we're kind of all over. We're not doing much of our own events this summer, just because of the transition and you know funding and stuff um but uh you'll, you'll find us we'll be out and about 
Amazing. We Amazing. can't wait. Yeah. We will see you at all of those things. <laughs> and we are so excited. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And if you ever need out loud's help, let us know. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should collaborate. We should chat for sure. Totally. Yeah. For sure. And on that note, um, let's talk about some queer joy because I'm very happy after this conversation and I'm going to go first. So Kelsey can't steal mine. <laughs> so last week we got to go into a school oh. um, for the first time basically since COVID which was very exciting but we also got to meet um, someone who was at the Stonewall Uprising Martin um, Boyce yeah. yeah yeah we got to meet yeah, Martin so Boyce I missed it because I had I'm, I'm still recovering from my COVID oh, and at that time no. I, was, I was still too sick to be able to attend any of the events oh. with him. I'm so content. Was he amazing? Yeah. He was, it was so good. And like, like I've read and listened to so much stuff about Stonewall, but hearing it from someone who was there and hearing those details that only he would know um, was just absolutely amazing. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. So that was, that's very yeah, joyful. That's my queer joy. <laughs> you, I don't know who wants to go next. You can go next, Cheyenne, if you know. Oh, I can go. Um, my queer joy is the Royal Proclamation of Pride Corner by the city of Edmonton. Yes, yes. I'm so happy and proud of them. I'm getting emotional again, just talking oh. about it. Um, <laughs> you know, it started with my friend Claire just being on the corner by herself saying, screw you, street preachers. Um, and it's developed into this big, beautiful movement. Um, and like, I'm only peripherally involved with the, with the corner, but um, I'm just so proud of all of the organizers and everybody that's involved, all of the youth that show up rain or shine or snow um, and just out there showing the world that they exist and they matter. Mm-hmm. Um, power to every single person involved with Pride Corner. Cause that is like, that is my queer joy for the week for sure. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Claire is one. Right. <laughs> Talking about it. <laughs> all good. It's, it's so cool seeing queer history made like in our own area like yeah. that is like the biggest and knowing that martin was there for the whole thing yeah. like just... and that it started yeah. with claire who was somebody that so many people in our community know i know even my partner who has lived in edmonton for years and has been a member of the queer community here for years was like i know claire like and it's like <laughs> you know it's those little things it's like that's just so cool um yeah, yeah my <laughs> queer joy honestly is just like we are so privileged to be in the space that we are and to be in a position where we have solid funding and we can kind of like make connections with other organizations and give people platforms. Like every time we have a conversation like this, it reminds me why we do this, you know? And like, it's, yeah, the support that we're just able to give the kids and just being able to have conversations with people that the kids might not, you know, get connected to if we didn't, do the hard work to be like, hey, do you mind coming to our space virtually even and having this conversation with us? And the fact that everybody is so willing to have this conversation, to have these conversations, the we have a tiny human that comes to group every time and says their name and their pronouns and that their favorite thing to do is to listen to is queer halftime. So like, you know what I mean? Like, like these things are getting to to these tiny, like (laughs) these things are getting to these kids. And that's like, that's literally all we want to do is make the world a little bit better than what we experienced it. And I think it's really empowering to even be in this space with people that like are doing or trying to do the same thing that we're doing, you know? So I appreciate you so freaking much, honestly. And I can't wait to see you at absolutely every event. 
this summer. <laughs> hey, hey, thank you. I appreciate oh. that. <laughs> um, and likewise, like I just appreciate the work that you folks are doing as well. You know, it's um, it's hard work that we do this. We don't work in nonprofits or in community because we are going to get a lot of money yeah. or because we're trying to make it rich or have our name on a billboard or we don't do it for the accolades right we do it out of love yeah. and out of care for community and um again emotional but um, <laughs> I just like I I know I'm doing the, this work because it makes my heart happy right and it's not a job it doesn't feel like work although some days are hard yeah. um you know it's um it's the smiles it's the conversations it's the learning it's the growth it's the thank you for just being there. Um, that is uplifting. So totally. like as much as I appreciate my job, I think I appreciate all the humans that I interact with the most. Like that's like, so all of you kids watching, like just thank you for existing and for be, for being. And like, um, you know, you are meant to be who you are. And um, we just like love the crap. Out we of do. You. Sorry if that was appropriate to I'm say. No, we love the crap. <laughs> I don't I know yet, but totally I love you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Some of our youth last at last group told me I'm a good mom and I'm like oh now you're gonna get away with anything you want aren't you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. amazing but yes we love you you are valued and important and you have a place here and you're always welcome um so yeah be kind to yourself and others and we will see you next week bye I'm grateful to you all bye